This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The world's changing, and what are things we can do to, to transform our business and engage our fans globally in different ways? People are using their name and likeness to create more opportunities, more stakes in companies. In order to turn the organization around, we had to turn it around not only just on the baseball operations side, but on the business operations side. Football and any other sport is very difficult, but I like to broaden my horizons and be able to expand sports. I need to be consumed live, and that's a big competitive advantage for intellectual property holders of sports content in the media landscape. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And today, delighted to be joined by Pete Bavacqua. He's the chairman of NBC Sports Group. They got a lot of sports that they're putting on that network. NBC Sports, NBC Olympics, the Golf Channel, just to name a few. We're going to chat with him about the U.S. Golf Open. It's underway out in Torrey Pines. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. But first, guys, let's talk about what continues to be just, I guess, an ever busier sports calendar in many ways. I think it's fair to say that a lot of us, and I certainly put myself in this category, have been pretty fixated on the NBA playoffs, moving ever closer to the finals, some really exciting games. Uh, Lynchy, the ratings aren't so great so far, um, and I think the biggest business story of the week as it relates to it relates to injuries and no less than LeBron James making some comments and spurred in part by the injury to his former teammate in Cleveland, Kyrie Irving. Boy, this is a very physical game as Irving throws it in, goes down hard on his, on his right shoulder. He's shaking up, now he's holding his right leg, it's five on four. And now they're bringing up and the timeout is called. Nets, of course, have had their share of injuries all season long, including their stars. And those stars, the big three, as they have been referred to, you've had some experience with a big three there, Lynchy. Um, <laughs> we're talking about Kyrie Irving, of course, Kevin Durant and James Harden. Uh, for the most part, KD has been carrying the team and, and oh, how he did. But LeBron James coming out and basically saying, well, you asked for it. You asked for this season for business reasons, and now all these players are hurt. What do you make of it? Well, LeBron has been very outspoken ever since the NBA wanted to restart their season 71 days after the bubble ended when the Lakers won the title. And he said, you know, guys are going to be tired. It's too short a turnaround. But there were only two teams that played the NBA Finals last year and had that 71-day uh, stretch. There were some teams that didn't make the playoffs whose hadn't played games for over 100 days. As of right now, his big point is that this is the time of the year when everybody wants to see the stars. And right now, eight all-stars are out with injuries. And LeBron is basically just saying, I told you so. This was going to happen and it did happen. And as we all know, in any level of sport, fatigue is usually a precursor to some type of injury. Yeah. So how much does this hurt the game, Bar? Uh, well, because a lot of people, especially Brooklyn Nets fans, they were all set to see the big three go. And it's painful to listen to that replay, let alone see what really went down for Kyrie Irving. Uh, it, by the way, I have to compliment you because as an Atlanta fan, I'm amazed <laughs> you did not say anything about that game <laughs> against Philly where they were 26 down and all of a sudden, bam, 
here they come winning. Because I, I, I know I'd be mouthing off about it all during the, the show. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm letting Ice Trey speak for himself. Um, <laughs> it, it has been amazing to watch. But, you know, you think about it, you know, it's not just Kyrie. Now Kawhi, we don't know if he's going to be out. Chris Paul, not an injury, but under, as we're taping this, COVID protocol. So he's knocked out. And, you know, you've got all these players that, that are going down. And it does it hurts the game when the when the players aren't involved, but there are Lynchy business considerations that were taken into account by Adam Silver and and the rest of the league and the owners who lost a lot of money mm-hmm. last year. And it, it is a business at the end of the day. And on the other side, we're also talking about human beings who who are you know participating in this. It's it's a tough one, I have to say. It is, and if we've said uh, numerous times on this show that the NBA players and the commissioner, Adam Silver, have the best relationship among the four major sports, and usually all decisions are made, you know, in, in conjunction with consulting the players and, and, and physicians and team officials. But this was one that they, look, we just we swallowed a lot of losses last year. We need some make goods this year. we got to start this season up in December. Yeah. Uh, Sticking with the NBA for one second, you know, Mm -hmm. Lynchy, you brought to our attention some eye popping figures the all NBA teams Mm -hmm. announced this week and some very notable players, uh, not just disappointed from a an ego perspective to not see themselves on that list, but their bank accounts uh, (laughs) substantially lighter than they would have been had they made that team. Tell us about that. Well, this is according to Sportico, our friends over there. Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell both signed extensions last offseason, five years, $163 million. Had each one of them been named to the All-NBA team, that package would have jumped to more than almost $33 million more, to $195.6 million. Now, Donovan Mitchell led the Utah Jazz in scoring. Uh, They are a very good basketball team, but he finished ninth among the guards. Jason Tatum actually got more votes than Kyrie Irving received, who was named All-NBA, but Jason Tatum was classified as a forward. (laughs) Now, the voting is among 100 journalists, and they eliminated all the local regional broadcasters who had a little bias, obviously. So I think the the lesson right here is be nice to the media, be nice to the journalists, because it could be worth a lot of money to you down the road. Unbelievable. Unbelievable amount of money. Switching sports just briefly, um, news breaking literally as we're taping this, on Thursday morning that the U.S. Tennis Open, that, of course, the pride of Flushing, and I'll say it, my favorite New York sporting event, 100% capacity. They are tickets go on sale next week. I got to tell you guys, I can't wait. I, I love the Open. I love the vibe. It is New York in all of its glory, from the nosebleeds down to the insanely expensive courtside and box seats. You just see it all there, and uh, I, I think it's a it's a great return. And uh, I got to say, it, it reminds me and brings back a lot of memories of, of some really fun people we talked to, including we released a podcast this week with our buddy John Wertheim over at Sports Illustrated. He's a frequent guest on this show, uh, especially at the U.S. Open. And uh, so looking forward to hanging out with him and, and everybody else uh, at the U.S. Open. Good for business, good for the business of tennis, uh, and certainly good for the business of New York. So, guys, DraftKings very much in the news. You know, this is just one of these classic business of sports stories in many ways. And really getting very Bloomberg here. 
shorting. Short interest, of course, is when you're betting on a stock to fall. DraftKings fell prey a little bit to a firm called Hindenburg Research, which basically said they were short the stock. The stock dipped. It recovered. You know, this is a a dangerous place sometimes for stocks to be, especially in this kind of meme stock world uh, that we're living in. You know, meanwhile, DraftKings has been a very well-followed business over the past year, especially as online betting has increased. More states continue to allow this to happen. Let's hear a little bit of what CEO Jason Robbins had to say last month. We really are, are seeing nothing but incredible momentum in the business right now. And I think, you know, sports being back in full swing is driving a lot of that. I think general momentum in the industry is. Uh, we have a packed sports calendar um, the next several months. You know, a lot of the uh, NBA and NHL, for example, pushing their starts back a little bit this year means we'll be playing, you know, they'll be playing playoff games well into, you know, late Q2 and early Q3. So, should be an exciting next few months. And then we also have a lot of live legislation. Uh, almost two dozen states are actively considering mobile yeah. sports we, uh, wagering legislation. Another four considering iGaming legislation. So a lot of great momentum on that front, too. So legislation is key here, Michael Barr. And there was news this week of interest, especially to our listeners in the tri-state area and especially the great state of New Jersey, because soon you may be allowed to bet on college sports uh, in New Jersey, that feels like a big deal, or, or at least a move forward if you live in New Jersey. It's it's huge. Now, other there have been, obviously, sites where you can bet on college sports, especially in football and this and that, whatever, and it's coming to New Jersey now, if it does take place, which it looks like it is. But I've always had this in the back of my mind, and I always worry about some sneaky peek trying to get to one of the college athletes and trying to throw the game or or hook up a better and this and that, whatever. Uh, because it, I have to say it, it, it's much easier to do when you're talking about a college student who doesn't have any money. And all of a sudden you offer this person money uh, to, well, you know, shave this point off here or shave this point off there. I worry about that, and, and my apologies to – to the 99.9% who have integrity out there for college students, but I worry about that 0.1%. Yeah. Lynchy, what do you make of this? I mean, it feels like the train of online betting and, and basically legalized gambling is rolling and rolling faster and, and faster. Do you worry, as someone who's looked at this at the sports world for a long time, about the, the college element here? Well, I had sort of a front row seat for uh, it. This happening to Boston College in the 1980s when Rick Kuhn and uh, another player whose last name was Sweeney took money from a wise guy named Henry Hill who was played by Ray Liotta in the movie Goodfellas. And it really disgraced the Boston College program, but it was money that it couldn't resist. It, it sort of fortifies uh, Michael Barr's point right there that, you know, it's, it's hard to get to professional athletes because they make so much money it wouldn't be worth it, but it's so much easier to get to a college player and the temptation once you get him or her hooked in, uh, has them you know, swimming upstream until they, 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 they have to do everything you ask them to do. Now, on the other side, I know New Jersey says last year they handled over $6 billion worth of sports betting, and 
the time is right right now to just jump on board with college sports. I It's a deal breaker in Massachusetts, which as we speak on Thursday morning, uh, the bill is in committee right now. And absolutely positively that bill has zero chance of passing mm. if college sports spending is included. Interesting. Yeah, this will be certainly an element of this debate to watch uh, going forward, especially, as I say, as these conversations continue across state legislatures. I mean, you heard Jason Robbins talk about it. I mean, that's part of the the pitch, as it were, for the stock is this continued acceptance. But if if it starts to run into some roadblocks from a stock perspective, you know, that does start to get investors a little bit worried. All right, let's get to this week's interview. Excited to talk with Pete Bavacqua. He's the chairman of NBC Sports Group, overseeing NBC Sports, NBC Olympics, the Golf Channel, just to name a bit of that wide portfolio. Well, you're right. I mean, it is really has been an unbelievable run for golf. You know, as hard as the pandemic has been on everybody in the country, around the world, Golf has had an absolute uh, resurgence. Rounds are up. You know, one of the businesses we own is Golf Now, which is an online tee time provider. And we booked more rounds than ever in 2020 because people know that golf uh, is a great sport that you can do outside. You can be socially distant. So there's been an upswing. And we've seen that in golf ratings, too. Uh, you know, we renewed our deal with the PGA Tour, so obviously we've had a great run with the tour. And uh, we were so happy and delighted to be able to get back our rights, our, our, the USGA championship rights, in a, in a transaction we did with Fox and the USGA uh, last summer, well before the Wingfoot U.S. Open so that was great news for us. I mean, we really are the 24-7 home for golf in this country. When you think about the PGA Tour, the LPGA, the European Tour, our relationship with the Open Championship, the Ryder Cup that we'll have this fall. But now to have back those USGA championships and to have the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, I'm watching it on Peacock right now as we speak. I have it on in front of me. Unfortunately, there's a little bit of a fog delay. June gloom has moved in. But I think back to 2008, I was at the USGA at the time as their chief business officer. And that had to have been one of the great sporting events of all time, that U.S. Open, when Tiger and Rocco went at it. Uh, Obviously, the the famous Monday playoff, Mm. the 19 holes on Monday that unbelievable putt uh, Tiger made on the 18th hole on Sunday. So to be able to go back to Torrey Pines, obviously we wish Tiger was there, but but, uh, but wishing him well as he recovers. But to be back at such a great golf course, a public golf course, to have a West Coast U.S. Open that we can have back here on the East Coast in prime time over the course of the weekend – Uh, It should be a great event. And between, hey, can Phil do it again? He's Uh, a five age at Kiowa. And we have the Brooks Bryson action going on. We're kind (laughs) of hoping that that we can we can land them in the final group on Saturday or Sunday would be amazing. So we're excited about this U.S. Open. and, And quite frankly, we're excited about golf in general. It's funny you mentioned about Rocco Mediate. They just did a story in The New York Times and they asked him about that 2008 and Tiger made the putt. And and he's got and they said he has this half pained look on his face. He's trying to smile. Nobody else makes that putt except Tiger Woods, and it it, it really is amazing to see that. And you mentioned that Tiger is not there, but with golf and this resurgence, 
I'm not sure if the question is pertinent anymore. Has it hurt ratings because Tiger is not there? Well, you know, we have such there's such great superstars on the men and women's side. You know, we we just had a wonderful U.S. Women's Open at Olympic a few weeks ago. But when you think about Brooks and Bryson, Rory McIlroy, Dustin, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, you could go on and on. We have this generation of young, super athletic uh, uh, athletes that are playing this game at the highest level. So golf is in a good spot. And, you know, Tiger, I always tell people, uh, I think Tiger is one of the transcendent athletes of the last hundred years. You know, you think of people like Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods. So you're always going to miss somebody like that because that type of person only comes along once in a generation. Uh, and what Tiger has done for the game is, is undeniable. But, but yet we have this great crop of new young superstars. We have people like Phil Mickelson and Stuart Sink that are still unbelievably relevant and it's in, it's in a good spot. And, you know, hey, would we love to have Tiger there? Of course. But uh, it's going to be a wonderful U.S. Open regardless. Hey, Pete, uh, tell us again how the U.S. Open fell back into your lap when Fox had secured the rights, I think, through 2026. And timing seemed to be working to your advantage last year when the U.S. Open was rescheduled to the fall, correct? That's right. So we had had a few conversations with our, our friends at Fox. You know, we have a wonderful relationship with Fox and their executives. Eric Shanks and I are good friends. And though we said, hey, listen, golf is part of our DNA at NBC, you know, between what we do on NBC, what we do on the Golf Channel, what we're now doing on Peacock, it's, it's part of who we are. And made it known to Fox that if they ever came to the conclusion that golf just didn't make a ton of sense for them, that we would be all ears. And that conversation happened, time went by, and then entered the pandemic. And when the USGA made the decision that they had to postpone the U.S. Open from the traditional Father's Day conclusion to uh, the fall, all of a sudden it really caused, I think, headaches for Fox. When you think about their college football schedule, their NFL schedule, and for us, we have this you know, multi-decade, 25-year relationship with Notre Dame, so we have flexibility there in terms of the timing of their games. We obviously have Sunday night football, so we didn't have any Sunday afternoon conflicts. So that started the conversations, and they first really uh, centered around a one-off. Would we pick up the U.S. Open in 2020 at Wingfoot? And when we did our analysis and, and got deeper into the conversations, it became apparent to us that, sure, we could do that. But what made a lot more sense is just taking over the remainder of the USGA deal from Fox. So we had great conversations with Fox. It made sense for them. It certainly made abundant sense for us. And then ultimately, we and they had to go to the USGA to make sure the USGA was comfortable with it because these are their championships. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, it was a pretty easy deal to work out because it was a win for us. It was a win for Fox, and I think it was a win for the USGA. And, hey, I'm, I'm uh, admittedly biased, but I think the USGA championships – belong on NBC, again, because golf is such a part of our DNA. And so it was wonderful to get them back. And it was emotional, I have to tell you, when you think of people like Tommy Roy uh, and Molly Solomon and John Miller, 
who had given so many years to the to the USGA relationship, and Dan Hicks. I mean, it was a great moment to kind of what I like to say to to bring the USGA championships back home. Yeah, well, and not for nothing, Pete. I mean, it's it's in the company's DNA. It's also in your DNA. I mean, you're you're a golf guy. You ran the PGA of America. It it must have felt even more sort of personally satisfying for you. I dare say. Well, it, it, it was, and it is. I mean, I love the game. I, I started playing golf when I was 10 years old. My entire youth uh, job was caddying at a golf course and then working in the golf shop. Uh, you know, and I spent 11 years at the USGA as in-house counsel, then ran the U.S. Open for a bunch of years and then oversaw the business side. And then you referenced my time at the PGA of America as their CEO. And the USGA, you know, my first, great golfing memory was going to the 1984 U.S. Open at Wingfoot with my father. Mm. And I was 12 years old, and we followed Fuzzy Zeller on that Sunday, and we were standing near Fuzzy when he waved the white towel to Greg Norman up on when Norman made the great putt on 18. So for me, it kind of came full circle. As a kid who grew up in Westchester County as a caddy, whose great golf memory was at Wingfoot with my dad, and then all of a sudden to blink and to be a part of NBC Sports and to have the U.S. Open back at Wingfoot, uh, that, that was that was pretty special for me, for sure. Today, chatting with Pete Bavacqua. He is the chairman of NBC Sports Group, and in their portfolio, there's a little thing called the Olympic Games. They are coming up and widely anticipated a year late. Some of the biggest athletes, best-known athletes in the world, not the least of which, heard of her, Simone Biles. They dismount, two flips, two twists, one piece of air. There you go. Seven-time national champion. History books again. These championships have seen so many legends over the years, so many icons of the sport, but with seven titles now to her name, it's pretty safe to say that nobody has ever shined brighter on this stage. Of course, we are talking about Simone Biles herself teed up, as it were, to participate in these upcoming Olympic Games. So, Pete, I got to ask you, how are you feeling about the Olympics? You know, are you confident they are actually going to happen? Well, First off, you know, we, we, we are very confident it's going to happen, whether it's the conversations we're having with the IOC or our people on the ground in Tokyo. We have already, we have about 140 people in Tokyo, wow. uh, which is a great sign. And I'll be heading over in the middle of July. I head over on July 16th. I'll be over there for about a month. But, you know, I go back to last year when the postponement was decided, which, of course, made all the sense in the world. And uh, it was the right decision for for so many reasons. And to to realize that it was going to be postponed for exactly one year worked out well for us. Uh, We could plan for it. We could get ready for it. And quite frankly, so many of the lessons we learned over the course of the pandemic, which is, hey, we can do more from our headquarters in Stanford. We can do more from 30 Rock. We can do a lot from our, our colleagues' home at Telemundo in Miami. So we will be doing a lot more from the U.S. than we otherwise would be. But we'll have a 1,000-plus people over in Tokyo, obviously led by our you know, Gary Zinkel and, and Molly Solomon, and you know, the, who's really going to be the face of the Olympics, and Mike Tirico. 
And I think I think this Olympics in Tokyo really has the chance to be something incredibly special because in so many ways it's going to be a a worldwide celebration of all of us coming out of this prolonged uh, hibernation. And to see these great athletes, these men and women competing for their countries at the highest level, uh, I think it, it has the, the potential to be like nothing we've ever seen before. And we have some amazing superstars when you think about, talk about transcendent, I mentioned Tiger Woods being transcendent. You think about somebody like Simone Biles, uh, Katie Ledecky, we're so loaded on the men's and women's side and track and field. We're calling it the United States of speed. So mm. we're going in there with a ton of energy. I can't wait to get over there and, you know, fingers crossed, but I think it's going to be pretty remarkable. This brings a lot of interesting challenges and I'm like you, I have my fingers crossed cause I, I'm a sports nut. Of course I'm, I'm rooting for the Olympics. But there are a lot of interesting, interesting challenges here. Uh, one, and it just just broke a few days ago, that the organizers want the media members to wear GPS devices so they can track them for 14 days because of the coronavirus and all this going on. Now, some people don't like that, but th- that's one of the uh, challenges involved in this Special Olympics. Can you take us through what you guys have gone through trying to meet the challenges of this? Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's just to talk about the challenges of doing any sport over the course of the last 14 or 15 months. It's just been different. It's been different in terms of how we travel, what we do once we get to the sites, how we interact, uh, realizing that we have to uh, be abundantly cautious to make sure everybody stays safe and secure. And the good news about Tokyo, I even was reading an article early this morning about, you know, the vaccination rate in Tokyo is picking up. Uh, The public feels better about the games coming there. So I think all of this is heading in a really good direction. But make no bones about it. You know, we're going to be moving from our hotel to the IBC, you know, the, which is our business center for all of uh, our, our efforts there, to the venues. There's not going to be a lot of running around town. And, uh, you know, we will be, again, incredibly cautious because we want to keep all of our teams safe uh, as possible and to make sure there are no hiccups with these games. But, you know, if this were just happening out of the blue, it would be one thing. But in so many ways, we've been training for this for 14, 15 months, and what we did with the tour and the NHL and the NFL and college football and NASCAR, you know, we've, we've kind of done our reps to prepare for Tokyo because we know what it means how to act in this new world, even though, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We're all coming out of this pandemic, but we're not going to take any chances or let our guard down now. We're going to go into Tokyo absolutely buttoned up and, and hopefully knock it out of the park for everybody. Pete, your, uh, the head of uh, your entertainment, I think it was, said that this will be the most profitable Olympics ever for NBC. Do you, do you share that view? Well, I've been focused on the excitement of these Olympics, how we can bring these great stories to life, uh, You know how we use the work that our team does so well, led by Molly Solomon, about introducing us. One thing to talk about Simone Biles, Katie Ledecky, some of the other great stars, but 
you know, many of the Olympic uh, athletes are people that our, our country is going to meet for the first time over the course of the, our Olympic trials, which are happening right now over the course of the 17 days of the Olympics. We're going to have over 7,000 hours of coverage, so you're certainly going to get to meet them up close and, and personal. Uh, but that's what we're focused on. And if we can really bring these games to life as we always do, if people understand the celebratory nature of this Olympic Games and how it truly is unique, as I mentioned, as this great kind of return to maybe something that resembles uh, normal over the course of the globe, I think they have a chance to be an absolute home run uh, and really be one of those great memorable moments in people's lives that, hey, these Tokyo Olympics kind of signaled a movement into uh, what, the, what you know, kind of this next chapter coming out of the pandemic. That That's my hope and expectation. So, Pete, we got to talk about the business of media, the business of consumption in many ways. You referenced earlier in the conversations that, you know, you're sitting and watching the U.S. Open via Peacock. If we were having this conversation a couple of years ago, you know, We'd be talking about the peacock as a as a mascot, as a symbol, as an <laughs> as an icon, and now it's an entirely new streaming network. Break it down for us, because you see this entire landscape. How does the streaming world fit into the world of sports broadcasting? Well, what's so uh, beneficial for us is it gives us endless real estate. And it allows people to, to do a deep dive on their passions. And obviously, so many people are passionate about sports. So today's a perfect example. I'm sitting here, unfortunately, as I mentioned, uh, there's a bit of a fog delay right now out at Torrey Pines. But, you know, we are going to cover an unbelievable amount of this U.S. Open on Golf Channel uh, over the course of the next Thursday and Friday, and obviously NBC coverage on the four days of the championship. But now we can fully round that out with exclusive coverage on Peacock. So if you're a golf fanatic like I am, you know, we started this morning, uh, it was going to be the first tee shot. And, you know, so you could wake up, watch as much of the U.S. Open as you wanted to as we kind of segue into Golf Channel and NBC coverage. And whether that's golf, or the Premier League, or, you know, I think about our new, re- our new Sunday night football relationship with mm-hmm. the NFL as we extended that deal another 11 years. Every time we're sitting down and talking to our partners, current partners, future partners, we're explaining to them that we have the unbelievable uh, uh, benefit of NBC and everything that NBC can bring to life. We have the power of what we're doing with NBCSN as we transition to creating this unbelievable channel on USA, where sports will be such an important part of that. And now we have Peacock. So we can truly tackle it from all angles. And, you know, we'll embed golf coverage on Peacock. We'll have archival coverage, library footage from the USGA of former U.S. Opens. And what I love about it is that we can go as deep and as broad and as wide as we want to to really fulfill the needs and the desires of of what we know are our passionate sports fans. Pete, I was going over all the sports you have in your group, and it's not your grandfather's barrel jumping championships. I mean, you have a lot going. You got the NFL, NHL, 
the PGA Tour, obviously, and the sport that I lap up like biscuits and gravy, auto racing. You've got <laughs> Indy. First of all, that's a that was a big move. That's a big jewel. You have NASCAR. How has the top sports in auto racing help your coverage and and your layout? Well, we have such a great relationship with our friends at NASCAR and IndyCar. And I think back to the Indy 500 a couple of weeks ago. That was one of those sporting events that, that over the course of the last uh, bit here with the pandemic, it felt like a big event. It sounded and looked like a big event. And it was one of the first times where I said to myself, hey, we're getting back to normal. You saw the people in the crowds. You saw the action. It was dynamic. And, you know, the, 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 the auto racing fan, uh, we're a true home for that. And we round it out. And it's almost a kind of a constant approach to what we can do in auto sports. We're about to start our NASCAR part of the calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started this weekend in Charlotte. We were with uh, the France family and Steve Phelps a couple of weeks ago planning for this year. NASCAR is on a great uptick with a ton of energy when you think about the competitive nature of the races and then you add the the magic of a michael jordan and a pit bull to uh, to the to the uh, nascar family yeah, so we feel great about it but you mentioned it i mean i i pinch myself when you think about the relationships we have we've talked about the olympics and the ioc the nfl you mentioned nascar the nhl the pga tour the triple crown notre dame football we just are coming off a really wonderful French Open. And, you know, I'm sitting here today. It's uh, beginning of June and thinking we're entering into a stretch that I think is not just going to be the busiest stretch in the history of NBC Sports, but truly I, I, I would say the busiest stretch in the history of any sports group. With everything we normally have, now you layer on top of that because of the postponement, the Tokyo Olympics, we're going to blink and we're going to be in the midst of an NFL season, a Notre Dame football season, the Premier League. We're going to have the Winter Games at Beijing. Oh, by the way, in the middle of the Winter Olympics, we're going to have a Super Bowl in L.A. (laughs) on NBC. And then we're going to come home from Beijing and turn the corner and our colleagues at Telemundo, we're going to have the World Cup. Uh, And what we're saying is it's kind of this once-in-a-lifetime collection of the absolute biggest events in sports, and they're all on NBC. So I told our team, if we can't get – excited about that we're 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 in the wrong business (laughs) well pete the the landscape is forever changing and uh i know that uh, soon the nbc sports network will will vanish and when i usually i'm in boston so i'm on comcast i hit h65 nbc sports network tell the people who aren't paying close attention what's happening where it's going and where they can find the program they usually find on the nbc sports network Sure. So we made the decision, kind of looking at the landscape, realizing the power of NBC, the power of Peacock, and you know our USA, which is part of our NBC portfolio. And we have we've had you know World uh, WWE on on uh, USA. And the thought process, the analysis we did is how can we take the best elements of NBCSN embed them on USA and really, quite frankly, create this super channel of entertainment and sports. 
And so I'm tremendously excited. And when we've talked to our partners at NASCAR, you know, conversations with Steve Phelps and in auto racing across the board and obviously everything we do with the WWE, we're ultimately going to take the best elements of NBCSN, put them on USA, and create what I think will be a pretty unbelievably powerful channel. And it was really the best strategic approach for the future. Take the best of what we do, put it on this one channel, secure its success for a prolonged period of time. It just made all the sense in the world. So people will be hearing and seeing more of that as we move toward the end of 21 and really begin to launch this new USA uh, in 22, which will be very sports heavy. So, you know, excited about that. And, you know, as I sit in my role at NBC Sports, part of our responsibility is, okay, what belongs on NBC? What belongs on USA? What belongs on Peacock? What's the most powerful formula for each partnership across those three platforms? And it gives us a lot of versatility, a lot of agility to keep current and hopefully uh, a little bit ahead of the trends in the industry. So, Pete, as we wrap up, I just want to build on that briefly. You know, as, as Michael Barr alluded to, you know, he's a big uh, racing fan. I myself follow pretty closely the the sport of lacrosse, having grown a lacrosse player in my house. And, and Paul and Mike Rabel actually were guests on the show just a couple weeks ago. I mean, that feels like an interesting experiment in some ways and an interesting relationship given, A, sort of the role that they played last year of filling some of those slots vacated by the Olympics, and and now, even in this current season of the Premier Lacrosse League, it feels like there's some experimentation going on across exactly what you were just talking about in terms of you know where it fits in, in, in the different properties. When you have a sport like that that is fast-growing and also seemingly doing a trying a lot of new things with the on-field game, but also the broadcast. How does that work, and, and what are the sorts of things that, that you pick up from a relationship like that? Well, it's, it's a wonderful relationship with the Premier Lacrosse League. I was actually, I spent uh, quite a bit of time on Monday of this week with Paul and Mike. We had, we had a strategy session. We had dinner together. And, you know, Paul is... Uh, is not only one of the best, if not the best, to play the game over the course of the last quarter century, but just a, an unbelievable, strong presence and somebody who you know is going to succeed and who you know is going to continue to make this league successful. He has this force to him that is really uh, infectious. So we feel great about it. And, you know, part of the conversation we had on Monday is we can take some chances and experiment with some concepts in the Premier Lacrosse League because that's Paul's personality and his nature. He wants to push the envelope. He wants to help us push the envelope. And whether that's miking players or giving us uh, a type of exposure to the game that, that we might not have with other sports, and we can help propel the league because of that. And quite frankly, we can learn some valuable lessons along the way that we can hopefully apply to some of our other partnerships, our more uh, uh, storied partnerships of sports that have been around at the professional level for decades and centuries, uh, or a century, if you will. When you think about, okay, what can we learn from the Premier Lacrosse League 
that we can embed in our NFL coverage or our Notre Dame football coverage or what we're doing with NASCAR or the Premier League. And Paul welcomes that. Yeah. And so we, we challenge each other constantly to be aggressive and progressive. And I think it's good for his league and what they're doing. And it has been such a, an enjoyable ride to, to help launch a new league, to see it succeed, to be a part of it. Lacrosse is a sport that's growing so rapidly. You know, I have three young kids. My, my daughter's 13. The boys are 11 and 7. All three of them love the game. Yeah. Uh, and so we're in it for the long run, and it's been a, a great journey so far with Paul and, and the PLL. Yeah, fascinating to watch it. And, I mean, I think it's clear as, as we follow that story very closely that, you know, the broadcast partnership – helped propel this league in, in, in many ways and, and has uh, certainly widened widened the audience. And, and I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And, and we've talked with Paul a lot on this show and Mike about kind of that um, that desire and ambition to to innovate in, in, in many ways. And I mean, talk about a relentless dude, as, as you alluded to. Uh, he, he's one of one, uh, as they say. Well, Pete, really, really good to spend some time with you. We could talk to you all day, but you've got, you know, golf to oversee. And, and I dare say that uh, Lynchy is probably going to uh, download Peacock as, <laughs> as we're getting off here to uh, hopefully that fog delay is going to lift because he's going to be uh, fair to say, Lynchy, you, you will be horizontal this weekend watching some U.S. Open. You can take that to the bank, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Pete, really good to talk to you. Thank you so much. We enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and hope to talk again soon. So, guys, Pete Bavacqua, that's quite a portfolio. You know, when when you think about when you break it down across everything that they're doing, you know, to me, the biggest opportunity and the biggest challenge, Lynchy, in many ways is figuring out what to put where at what time. that that's a hard call in many ways. Again, sort of a champagne problem having all these different sports, but understanding who's going to consume what, where, uh, you know, that's the puzzle that they're going to have to solve. You know, uh, I remember we talked to John Wertheim earlier this week when ESPN first came on. They had hours and hours to fill, and they yeah. didn't have any content. They were doing Australian rules football. <laughs> Now, NBC, when he rattled off what they have over the next 15 months or so, starting with the U.S. Open, then the Olympics, and then you're into Notre Dame football, and you're into the National Football League, then you're into the Winter Olympics, and then you're into, you know, ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. And they've got the Peacock. Uh, they're going to move to uh, the USA Network. I mean, you're right. It is a champagne problem, a great problem to have if you're a head of a, a sports network and you're in head of programming because it's it used to be, you know, how are we going to fill the time? And now it's like, what are we going to do with all these all these all this products we have? All right. Racing guy. We know you're <laughs> tuning tuning in. Uh, it, interesting to, to think about how they how they balance that portfolio. What do you make of uh, Bavacqua? What stuck out to you, Bar? It, you know what really got to me is that, it, it, and Lynchy kind of touched off in, about it, here's the guy that's got the Indy 500, he's got NASCAR, the second half of it, and, and I can go on and on, and there was a brief moment where I went from interviewer to fan, and I, I almost had to like catch myself to stop giggling, because, it, I mean, my goodness, this guy is is gold, and, and I agree, it's like, how do you sort all that out? Also interesting to hear, uh, Lynchy. I think, more evidence of this 
interesting resurgence in golf. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, two, three years ago, you know, especially with Tiger waning, and, and this is obviously before the, um, before the car accident, but I don't know if they had written golf off, but, I mean, this has been a, a, an unbelievably uh, good stretch uh, for golf. So, obviously, uh, hoping for some drama uh, at the U.S. Open because it's good for ratings. <laughs> well, it, the pandemic was perfect. because It was the perfect sport along with tennis to play outside. You're socially distanced yeah. anyway, and you're outside, fresh air. And a lot of people that hadn't played golf dabbled into it, and a lot of people that weren't golf fans got to watch it because along with NASCAR, it was the only sport that was being offered at the time. Yeah. And some people got hooked on it. And every place I went last year to play in the late fall, which usually you can just call the pro up and get right in. Jeez, Mike, I'm sorry. We're full today. I said, what do you mean you're full? We have an all-time record number of rounds this year. And that was the consensus unanimously among every golf pro I talked to in the New England area. That's when Lynchy pulls the, do you know who I am? <laughs> Does this voice sound familiar? Do you need me to send a screenshot? <laughs> I think there's a tea time available. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. All right, number of the week. Let's do it. You know what, Jason? I got to tell you, this is how good Lynchy is. Oh, boy. We were talking about this before we went on. I had a number of the week, and it was going to be about Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum, how much they were going to lose. Oh, he nailed it. And, And he then, before we even went on the air... Typed out, hey, you know, I saw this story where they're going to lose thirty-three million each. There you go. I was like, dang, man, thanks. Now, so, so this I had is the, the backup number. This of the was week. the backup number of the week. <laughs> Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban he traded his cryptocurrency Defy after he sensed an uh oh. Now it dropped to zero the next day when he sold his shares. What was the number the day before when Cuban got rid of his Defy? And the number is rounded. So it was at this price oh, okay. when he sold it. And oh, then, okay. I did read this story. I, I may all right, I may have the number wrong. Um so with I, I'm I'm gonna throw out a number that I know was in the story, but I'm not sure that this is right. Was it sixty bucks? Well, we don't have to continue anymore. So hey, Lynch, you- <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Well, both of you guys are winners because Lynchy just did, well, Lin- you know. Lin- uh, yeah, Lynchy did like a telepathic number Yeah, I did number a Vulcan mind mill <laughs> yeah, thing so on that, So I'm really the runner-up because I just happened to read the nerdy, you know, crypto story. Lynchy anticipated the entire question. Did you see did, the chart, I, I, though, on that? It's crazy. It's crazy. I didn't even get my foot in the batter's box. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you're already sitting in the clubhouse having, like, hit the walk-off home run. <laughs> oh, man. But Cuban, he was excited about Defy. Yeah. And he and he, he was pumping it up, you know, days before. And then all of a sudden, and people were saying, you know, that cover this, that, wait a minute, this is going way overblown yeah. here for valuation. So he got out. And then he got out, and then the next day it dropped to zero. And that's rare, even for cryptocurrency. Yeah. For that yeah, to, to go to go all the way down. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, um, 
he's got some other things to worry about with his uh, basketball team. Uh, yeah, fair to say. Um, <laughs> you know, some some drama, some drama in its own right. Of uh, what twenty four years that uh, yeah. Donnie Nelson was the GM and now no longer. So mm. Mavericks have some rebuilding to do. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. I can't beat these guys. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcast. You can catch those shows Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter, at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch, hoping I'll be crowned co-champion of uh, number of the week this week. You can find me at LynchyWCVB. And I'm Jason Kelly, just trying to read the most read stories on the Bloomberg to keep up with these guys. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. Thanks for joining us. And everybody wins, except me. You're listening to Bloomberg Business and Sports, Bloomberg Radio around the world.